Good morning. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. If you missed it yesterday on the holiday, first of all, hope you had a nice long weekend. But this is the new schedule dynamic. Jay's Talk Plus back for 2023. Now that the Leafs and Raptors are all wrapped up, save for hiring a general manager and a head coach, respectively, and then probably also a new head coach in the in the case of the Leafs after the initial one. Uh, we're back 10 to 12 weekdays on Sportsnet 590 The Fan, on Sportsnet 360. Uh, Blair and Barker have moved into the 5 to 7 slot, so they'll be TV and radio, your lead-in to the Blue Jays simulcast on 590 and 360 if you're looking for them. And, of course, they'll still be in the Blair and Barker podcast feed still doing their Jays talk post game on weeknights. Um, we will be in the blue Jays talk podcast feed. If you're looking for us and miss part of the episode as well. And like when Jays talk plus launched in late May of last year, the Toronto blue Jays are sputtering. They're struggling. Lost seven of the last eight. They've fallen to five and 13 against division opponents. Six, four loss last night. A uh, little nod to the Raptors with a fake comeback. A Dalton Varsho garbage time home run, a couple of singles, and then ultimately coming up short. But hey, at least you got Tampa Bay to use their closer for a little bit to, uh, you know, turn the green light on the fatigue page yellow. Let's not waste any time with the preamble or wrapping up that game. We'll, we'll get to some of the keynotes from it. Um, but we've got a loaded show today. We've got Chris Black at Down to Black on Twitter. He's a producer here at Sportsnet. He's going to be joining us pretty much every week like he did last year. Uh, we'll have Robert Orr from Baseball Prospectus on around 1030. He'll give us the Rays side of things. And we'll, uh, yeah, we'll revisit how some XJs are doing, including the uh, hottest hitter in baseball, who's no longer a Toronto Blue Jay. And then Ben Nicholson-Smith will join us for the second hour here in studio so you get to see his lovely face right now though no face just just a voice chris black producer at sports at at down to black chris how are you man i'm well i am in tampa um the sky is not falling here um despite how it may feel for jays fans but uh yeah it was a very raptor-esque fake comeback last night as you mentioned so hopefully uh things can turn around tonight yeah, and if there were a place for the sky to actually be falling over the years and just architecturally, it does feel like it would happen at Tropicana Field where the Jays have always <laughs> struggled. There there are some like historic outlier numbers in terms of a decade worth of several different versions of this Jays team not being able to hit uh, at Tropicana Field. Before we get to all of that, though, do you want to just talk about Jamal Murray instead, the Kitchener's own going to the NBA Finals? That That's a little a little rosier, Chris. I'm fine. Yeah. Basketball talk. Yeah. We, we could lean in that direction. That was awesome. Um, I really like watching that team play and for a Raptors fan, for a Canadian basketball fan, if we get Kyle Lowry against, again, in the heat against Jamal Murray and the, like, that's, that's great basketball for us. So I think it's a, uh, if the Raptors weren't going to be in the playoffs, this isn't a bad alternative. If you are a Canadian baseball fan, maybe what you're looking forward to is uh, Twins now cleanup hitter, Edouard Julien, who was uh, a bit of a breakout player at the World Baseball Classic, uh, playing against the Jays this weekend with the Minnesota Twins. Uh, no Canadians that uh, that are coming to mind on the Tampa Bay Rays, but they have put the hurt on the Blue Jays once again. Uh, I mentioned off the top, seven of the last eight, the Jays have dropped all of those two division opponents, five and 13 now against the American League East. And the record's now down to uh, 25 and 23 with just a plus five run differential, bottom of the American League East. Chris, things feel not great right now, but 
if we zoom out and look at what's happened the last little bit with some context and yeah, because it's the launch week of JSTOCK plus for this year as well. I do think back to being in a similar spot to this last year when we launched, um, before we get into some of the, the more granular stuff like you and I always do, how are you feeling about this team just in general right now with their play of late? I think it's been a bad, um, just a bad timing to play your worst baseball the season. That's all. That it corresponds with playing really good teams. Uh, it's not the time when you want to be making outs on the bases, errors, all that stuff. So um, bad timing, really not. It, it is. It's the worst stretch of the season. But uh, you've used this analogy before on shows that last year, I remember, is, you know, eight games. It's not even equivalent to one NFL game. <laughs> in a regular season of 162, right? So it has been ugly. There's no there's no sugarcoating it, but also it's a short stretch. Like I still, and I also think the division kind of skews our perception of this. Like I still think, and it's not even like a, they will play better and rise. Like they're still one of the, you know, 10 best teams in the, in the league. Just so happens that their division is maybe the best division we've ever seen in the six division era. It's just a very strong division. Now that doesn't change anything. It's like, yeah, it's going to be harder to make the playoffs than we thought in March. Uh, that's kind of the new reality, but I think they're going to clean it up. I think the talent will show, but yeah, it's been, as I said, just bad timing to, to be playing your worst stretch of the season. So that worst stretch of the season includes not only 17 consecutive game days right now and playing 30 uh, over a 31 day stretch. So there's no, you know, there's no rest. There's no off day to clear your head or anything like that. Um, but also, as you pointed out to me before we came on the air, uh, 46 of 48 games in this stretch they're in right now against winning teams. Now, I, I don't think that, you know, makes anyone feel better that the losses are coming against good teams, because if you fancy yourself a good team, you should be taking some of those. But when you look at some of the and I'm thinking particularly in terms of some of the offensive numbers the Jays have put up so far this year. Um, what do you, you know, how, how do you separate that? Yeah, they've played arguably uh, both overall and in terms of opposing pitching, the, the toughest strengths of schedule so far this season. This is something that, again, to bring back to last year that we talked about hmm. early on in Jays Talk Plus, I remember that. Yeah, what happened to the, the more the... balanced schedule? It, it doesn't feel any yeah. more balanced. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's been some ALE stuff, but I, I distinctly remember, I think Bo even had a slow start. And one of the things we kind of pointed out, and uh, Shulman and I talked about this quite a bit last year, was all the velo they were facing. Um, no one had faced more pitches above 95 than Bo, and Vladdy was up there. And, like, they just faced a lot of velo. Well, guess what's happening hmm. again? Uh, no, no team has seen more 95-plus than the Jays so far this year as hitters. They're going to see more of it tonight with Taj Bradley. And... I've talked to I've talked to some Stackhouse people before about the possibility of making like a a quality of competition metric, like not not a team wide thing, but like a batter, like an individual batter or an individual pitcher thing. To like, you know, what's the average ERA plus of the of the pitchers you've faced, or what's the average stuff plus of the pitchers you've faced? Like, because I think that can give us a better picture of how people are performing, and you know, uh, a kind of a quick and dirty way of of putting this in context of what I did today was I looked at kind of if you look, if you break up uh, the teams in the league by bottom 10 and winning percentage, top 10 and winning percentage. Well, the Jays have seen the third fewest pitches against bottom 10 teams in the league, and they've faced the most pitches against top 10 teams. So, again, 
it's no excuse. Doesn't doesn't make you feel any better when you look at the record or when you look at one and seven. But I do think it just adds a bit of context to yeah. Th- this is you know they face some really good teams here. Uh, still got to beat them. Still got still got to beat who you face and still got to clean things up. But again, it's it, it's life in the AL East and they, they face some really good pitching of late. They sure have. And you mentioned the stat about facing 95 plus velocity. I think the number that you're going to share on the broadcast later tonight is that it's been something like a thousand more fastballs at 95 or higher over the last three seasons than than any other team. Um you know, some of that is random luck of the draw. It's who you run into when in the schedule and when through the rotation. Um, are you seeing anything in the the underlying numbers, though, that suggests, hey, a team might be intentionally structuring a rotation against the Blue Jay to get a high VLO guy in there? Or maybe you're going to a higher VLO arm out of the bullpen than you would against another team. Um, I, I guess what I'm trying to, to get at here is uh, the numbers are too big an outlier to be able to be explained by just managerial decisions, but whether it's the manager and pitcher selection, whether it's the pitcher himself and pitch selection, um, are teams benefiting from, from giving the Jays some of that high velocity given what they do and don't hit well? I think the the second part, the latter part of what you mentioned there is, is bang on. I don't think it's about who you necessarily use to pitch. I think it's the very micro pitcher and catcher, their pitching decisions, their pitch selection, what they're choosing to throw to each hitter. And I think, you know, Bo is a classic example. And what we've seen this year is teams early on in the season, especially attacking him with fastballs. So if you're a hitter who's going to go the other way all the time, if you're going to look to uh, really damage off-speed stuff, then teams are going to throw you more fastballs. And we saw that, especially in the last couple of years, not only with Bo, with Vladdy, with Lourdes, with Teoscar, the few different people who really go after off-speed pitches. So there's definitely some of that, that um, I think fastballs might be a way. And I think those numbers going to show it that maybe that's the scouting report is if you don't want to allow damage against this team, throw fastballs as we saw, but Bo adjusted, as we saw earlier in this year, he adjusted and he started, he found this inside, this great inside out swing that's poking those fastballs to right field. But I think you're bang on in that, yeah, there's probably an approach aspect of pitchers thinking the best way to attack these guys might be with fastballs. Yeah, Bo Bichette, for example, has faced 471 over this year and uh, and last year. Uh, pitches 95 or higher, that 14% mark among the league leaders. But hey, it's coming around 730 OBP, uh, or sorry, OPS rather, uh, against those, which that's not, you know, you wouldn't want that number for an entire season. But if you're talking about against the elite of the elite velocity, uh, it's not too bad. Uh, Matt Chapman right there with him in the kind of leaderboards facing that amount. And Matt Chapman certainly hasn't been as strong against those. Going to use that velocity topic as a pivot to one of the Jays who's been struggling a lot right now. Uh, he hit a home run and kind of in garbage time yesterday. It was one of those like, uh, hey, t- Jason Tatum dunks, uh, monster dunk to cut the lead to 19 in the fourth quarter uh, <laughs> kind of home runs. But Dalton Varsho's had a bit of a tough time, so much so that he, he even went the haircut route to, to try to shake things up, uh, shaving it down to the dome. Um, Dalton Varsho, we knew coming in he had – not necessarily a hole in the swing, but he did struggle with, with velocity up in the zone. Um, how much of that is going into what we've seen from Dalton Varshall right now and, and kind of his inability to impact this team with the bat the way that maybe they were hoping? Yeah, uh, we've heard Shulman, we've heard Siddle, we've, we've heard Buck uh, talk about this on the broadcast, that pitchers are attacking him up in the zone. Um, 
we I looked at the numbers and pr- as a percentage of uh, fastballs thrown to him, it's almost doubled how many are up at the top of the zone year over year. So it's kind of grown year by year for him, uh, 7%, 8%, 9% year over year until this year, and it's up to 13%. So the book is out, in, baseball, in other words. I think so, yeah. Like it, It's weird in baseball when you, when you read these numbers or say them out loud, they don't seem like a lot, but incrementally over the course of 162 and over the course of thousands of pitches, that little change in mix can be a lot of pitches. So it's not um, – he's definitely seeing more of them. I think that's partially – more people paying attention to him, being on a contender, being in the AL East, just more of a book on him as he as he gets more and more ABs. But what jumped out to me, and this is kind of another perception reality thing, is it seems like, and when someone's struggling, it seems like he's swinging at all, those pitches all the time, um, right? But when you look at the team-wide stuff, Bo chases at those pitches more often than Varsho. Vladdy chases at fastballs up in the zone more than Varsho. Whit Merrifield swings at them more than Varsho. So it's been it's it's still a hole for him. Doesn't change the fact that it's not a hole, but I, it's and it it's a personal thing too. Like it feels like he was swinging at those all the time when I'm watching the game. Hmm. But it's funny how the numbers don't necessarily tell that story as well. But still a hole, still something he's got to fix and but I really like the approach. Happy you got that home run uh, yesterday. Yeah, and, and you know one of the things that you, you were kind of mentioning, he's been in the league a little bit longer. You get a book on him. Also, when you hit 27 home runs, people might focus in a little bit more on, hey, we gotta we gotta be very conscious of how to get this guy out. Right now, through 47 games, uh, seven home runs, hitting 207 with just a 278. OBP that WRC plus a so weighted runs created plus, which puts everyone on uh, the same kind of scale comes in at 80. So about 20% below average at the dish right now, but Chris, he's still been an above replacement level player overall on pace for like a one and a half win season, despite the struggles at the plate. Are you seeing what you expected and what you'd hoped for from Dalton Varsho in the other areas of the game? Yeah, absolutely. It was everything. Uh, I was banging the drum early, you know that, uh, last year to grab Dalton Varsho in a trade. The base running and the defense have been amazing. Um, top five player in terms of defensive runs saved so far. The base running has been really good. He he seems to do a lot of the little things. Well, you've seen Siddle and Buck Martinez break down some little base running things. He d- he does really well. It's just it, it's a shame because if the hitting was anywhere close to average, he'd be a really really good player so far. But what I like about that that kind of stuff when you do the other stuff well, it gives you a bit of a buffer when you go through inevitable cold streaks at the plate. So it's the same as a shooting slump in basketball, right? If you're an offensive player, if you're Jamal Crawford, or if you're um, a player like that, a six man off the bench that's just a gunner, if you're not hitting shots, you're giving your team no value, right? Where if you're OG Ananobi and your shot's not falling, you're still valuable to the team. So yeah, it's it's been a rough start. It seems to me like he's squeezing the bat. There's a few numerical things. There's a few stat-based things that can kind of show that. I was looking at his chase rate. And this is one of the things where when you dive into or when you just look at top-level numbers, his chase rate year over year is the exact same. So you think, oh, nothing's changed there. But if you look uh, when he's ahead in the count, when he actually has a chance to do some damage, works to a 1-0, 2-0 count, his chase rate is up 10% year over year. And that's the kind of thing where you shouldn't be chasing in those um, – it shouldn't be chasing as much, I, sh- I should say, in the, in those moments. And to me, that's a sign of squeezing the bat, trying a bit too much, 
coming into a new team, a young guy. So I do think it's like Matt Chapman last year. I think he'll ease in. I think he'll get comfortable in his new place. I do think he'll hit. Like the way 400, if you fit, hit 450 feet home runs, hmm. there's some talent in that bat. So I think it'll come. It's just a shame it hasn't gone off to uh, to a quick start. And you can understand it psychologically, right? Like, like you mentioned the coming into a new spot, but also you're struggling at the plate, but then you start working good plate appearances where you get to hit in hitters counts. And suddenly you're so eager to do something because you've gotten in this favorable situation. Obviously, if we could operate in a vacuum and everyone had the most level of heads, that's when you should be most discerning because the pitcher has to come to you. But yeah, it's exciting to be like, well, here, here it comes. It's, uh, it's going to be something to hit. Um, Chris, you were very pro Dalton Varsho. Um, I liked him as a target as well. The price tag on it was, you know, steep, the top prospect in the system. I'm curious, certainly two months in, we're not going to evaluate how this trade has turned out, but how often are you checking the stat lines of Gabriel Moreno and the league's hottest hitter, Lourdes Gurriel Jr.? (laughs) I'm not checking them very often, but I know people (laughs) who are checking them very often who like to text me or (laughs) tweet at me and let me know. So I'm keeping up to date on their stats, regardless of whether I'm personally trying to or not. Um, yeah, I mean, Guriel, we knew the talent was there. He, We've seen these hot streaks. It's just he didn't really have them last year for whatever reason. Um, Moreno, he's looked good. Uh, defensively, he's looked good. I've seen the highlights. I've been throwing guys out. There's not a ton of power in the bat yet, but there is average. Um, you know, in a, I, understood, I understood the move. Right, like, it still makes sense, but I think it's interesting to look back now, and if you knew – Kirk wasn't going to be, uh, if you knew he was going to get off to this kind of start, which it's impossible to know, but he's had some struggles. If you knew the bench really wasn't going to be this deep, if you're going to have so many issues with Biggio in that last spot, um, you know, could you carry three catchers? Like the three catcher thing, it didn't seem feasible last year to, to do it again, but knowing what you know now, can you go back? I mean, that's the hindsight 2020 thing. As I said, I fully agreed with that move. And I still think Varsho over the course of four or five years is going to be worth a ton of value. So that's still where I land on it. But it's interesting to kind of look back in hindsight and wonder what the alternatives were. I do think I have so many people who jump in my mentions <laughs> and say, like, they should have traded Kirk for Varsho. That trade, you know. I, I don't know this for a fact, but I, that trade doesn't exist. I don't think that right. you. You needed to get rid of Moreno. Moreno needed to be included to get a player of Varsho's caliber. So yeah. it's interesting to to uh, Monday morning quarterback it, but I still think the value is going to be there in the end. Yeah, and, and this is you know certainly four or five years down the line. We're going to fire up the baseball reference page. We're going to look at the transactions tab. We're going to do the trade trees, and, and you're going to see, oh, Varsho for – Gabriel Moreno, who's maybe an all-star catcher, and Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who was pretty good before he hit free agency. And you're going to look and you're going to say Teoscar Hernandez, 11th in franchise home runs for a 7th, 8th inning reliever. And, and, you know, who knows what Adam Mako turns into. He's striking a lot of guys out at high A right now, but allowing a lot of runs as well. But part of that strategy was also that in sending out Teoscar Hernandez and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. for the for the players they got back, they also cleared some money that they then used on Kevin Kiermeyer and Brandon Bell. Kevin Kiermeyer has been 
everything that was advertised defensively, everything that drove Blue Jays fans nuts um, defensively for for years. <laughs> what when you think about the Varsho edition or the Teoscar trade, how much of the performance of Kevin Kiermaier and more recently Brandon Bell factors into how you kind of view those moves, even though obviously separate moves, a, a part of one kind of holistic offseason. Yeah, I think you need to look at them in concert for sure. You're bang on. And Kiermaier's been great. It's been great to see Belt um, stringing together some good at-bats. It's been interesting during this cold stretch. It feels like Belt is one of the few guys whose demeanor approach at the plate, nothing's changed. That, And we've heard this from, from people around the team and from, from Sportsnet kind of analysts and people who are embedded with the team that just his demeanor doesn't change. And you've seen that. In these, in these moments. And, you know, it takes a lot of mental kind of fortitude to work yourself out of a slump to start a year like that. And he's, he's handled it really, really easily. And Kiermaier has just been awesome. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm a baseball nerd in a lot of ways, but I might be at my baseball nerdiest when it comes to outfield defense. That's why I got on to show last year. And Kiermaier just, he's fun to watch, man. Like I spent a lot of time looking at plays he made with the Rays over the last couple of days. And he's just, he makes some amazing plays. And that throw yesterday was oh. just electric. It I, was, uh, I know you tweeted. So yeah, what was it? 97. Yeah. 97.9 yeah. or something. One of the fastest throws from the outfield all season. Yeah. It's just so good. And it was perfect. He played the kind of natural tail that you get on those kind of throws. Perfect. It bounced 10 feet in front of home plate. Perfect. Just great execution. And I, and I think that's one of the, attributes of Kiermaier's that maybe we all don't or didn't appreciate fully when he came to Toronto. I think we all knew he could go, he could go catch balls uh, pretty much as well as anyone else of this generation, but the arm strength is really, really good. Uh, Best on the team, Blue Jays easily uh, top five in baseball among center fielders. And that was his hardest throw since 2019. So it got the adrenaline pump in playing his former team. So that was a really cool moment. And yeah, he's been really, really good. It's just, for me, it's about, can he stay healthy? Can he, can he avoid the bumps and bruises and stay productive? And if he can, it'll be a really, really good addition. Yeah. Leaping catch into the wall on the weekend as well. That looked like maybe his shoulder or chest was a little banged up. And then then he dropped that kind of shadowy uh, looping double, but almost entirely great defense from Kevin Kiermaier. Uh, Jose Brios is going to get the ball tonight. He was kind of, I mean, it, it feels like in retrospect, like this show was created to just try to figure out what the heck was wrong with Jose Brios <laughs> last year. And me Should and Should we you mention and, his quality starts? Should yeah. Should we mention his quality starts yeah, last quality year? Quality starts and, and the team's <laughs> record when he throws and all that stuff. Um, he's been a little better this year. He has a 314 ERA over his last seven starts. If you're looking for the under the hood indicators, 40 strikeouts to just nine walks during that time. The biggest thing, though, if we dial down, Chris, and this is something that you and I didn't like last year. I, I believe I remember having Joe Siddle on and he wasn't a big fan of it either. And Jose Brios has started to correct it of late is that ability to work the inner third of the plate against left-handed hitters with this fastball. Um, what have you seen from him in that regard? And what does that do to set up his other pitches? Yeah, I think it's just, it's all about variability, right? Um, when you saw some of the swings last year, even when he was making good pitches, um, as you mentioned, the lefties like, he was making, he was throwing good changeups outside to lefties. He was throwing good backdoor breaking balls to lefties. And these guys 
were taking those and hit, driving them the opposite field, driving them to straightaway. And when you see stuff like that, you start wondering why are those guys getting good swings on those pitches, like painted on the outside corner. So you look at his fastballs and then you realize he's not going inside on them. He's not making them uncomfortable. He's not making them think this could be in or out. So he's a little predictable of where he was throwing those fastballs. Uh, Siddle and I both mentioned that we thought he needed to be a little more variable, mix in fastballs to the glove side that's that's uh, inside the lefties, away to righties. And he's done that. He's, he's really mixed it up a lot more. I think uh, the number I pulled before his last start was he's pretty much like 30% on that half of the plate with his fastballs, pretty much for his career, somewhere in that zone. And this year it's up around 50%. So it's a huge, huge jump. It's a philo- philosophical change to work both sides of the plate. And the other thing that stands out to me that maybe it's random, I don't know yet. I think we need more of a sample to kind of to kind of tell us this, but the last few starts we've seen Danny Jansen behind the plate with him. Yeah, for the last Some five. of this is random. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't love attributing too much value to this stuff, especially in small samples, but we've seen the way Jansen kind of we saw him catch Manoa in his last start. Um, we've seen what he's done with Brios. He's, I think he's just, I think he's really good at working with these pitchers. And maybe I think if we see Jansen in there again tonight, catching Brios, if we see him again, catching Manoa, which we probably will, I don't, I don't know, but I think it might be some signs that, you know, they might think that Jansen can bring out the best in some of these guys. Yeah, we talked to John Schneider Saturday before the game down at Rogers Center, and he said there wasn't really anything to Jansen getting the the nod with Manoa starting. It was just kind of mixing it up, maybe change the the communication or whatever, but, but he really didn't seem like there was anything underlying it. But you look at a multi-year sample, and when a pitcher gets struggling and you make the catcher switch to Danny Jansen, that that kind of does tell you something. And of course, you you know, we're almost out of time here, but you and I can dive in, you know, next week or something that some of Alejandro Kirk's underlying defensive stuff hasn't been as strong this year as last year uh, as well in terms of how he's setting up, how he's, how he's framing, things like that. Although uh nice throw down to second base to, to catch a runner yesterday, which is nice to see coming around. Uh, Chris Black, we're out of time with you. We have about a million more things we could dive into, but luckily you're going to be with (laughs) us uh, just about, I mean, maybe not every Tuesday at 10, but you'll be with us every week and usually Tuesday at 10, right? Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Had a blast last year and looking forward to uh, keeping it going in 2023. Maybe see your handsome face in studio when you're uh, when you're back off the road with the Blue Jays. Uh, keep up. Oh, the- no. Oh, yeah. yes. I'll be there. I'll be. Yeah. There. Yeah. You're behind the camera for the rest of this series. So keep up the great work on the on the Jays broadcast and uh, enjoy the trot, man. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks, Blake. Congrats on being back. Thanks, Chris. Chris Black uh, at down to black on Twitter. An absolute essential Follow if you're a Blue Jays fan. Uh, video threads, stat breakdowns, all sorts of great stuff. And then Chris, of course, among our uh, ha- among our team of producers and directors, putting together uh, what and yeah, this is uh, homerism a little bit, but is one of the very best TV broadcasts uh, around baseball for Blue Jays games. Uh, shout out to Matt Devlin, by the way, on the call with Dan Shulmanoff this week. Devlin doing uh, this series alongside Buck and then with Joe Siddle on the weekend when things go to Minnesota. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get into some of what the Rays have done so well to turn hitters around. And, you know, at the risk of doing a love-in on a team that has been a thorn in the Blue Jays' side for a long time, I think there's a lot you can learn from the Tampa Bay Rays' ability to 
get the most out of fringy offensive players and steer guys out of bad habits to focus on what they do well. To help us talk about that, we'll bring in Robert Orr of Baseball Prospectus. We'll do a little Jays stuff too. Uh, earlier in the season on Blue Jays Central, I referenced uh, some uh, a metric that Robert Orr had been uh, putting together that put Matt Chapman in a very bright light and look at what happened uh, for April. So we'll pick at a little bit of that as well. And yeah, maybe we'll check in on some former Jays, including uh, Robert is a, is a Phillies guy. So Jeff Hoffman uh, back in the majors. If you didn't see that, we'll talk to him about that as well. Uh, all that's next with Robert Orr of baseball perspectives as Jays talk plus continues on sports at five ninety, the fan and sports at three sixty. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Love a lyric about being up late at night watching Korean baseball. That's the wonder years. Just a little Philly touch because our next guest is a, is a Philly guy as well. Robert Orr of Baseball Prospectus. How you doing, man? Good. How about you? Doing well. Thanks for taking the time out. Uh, before we get into the baseball stuff, uh, I saw you, you know, uh, with a, a little nod of appreciation for Denver Nuggets superstar Nicole Jokic last night saying, hey, I'm off balance my whole life. Uh, you doing all right, man? You good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought it was a pretty good quote. <laughs> uh, it was. It was a good quote. Um, also good quotes. Just about every line from your piece at Baseball Prospectus this week, or last week, rather, um, shared at the Defector as well. I know you guys have that cool setup where uh, an article a week or so from Baseball Prospectus goes up at Defector. Uh, it's a great setup. Obviously, tons of great work going on at Baseball Prospectus, including the the Jays preseason essay, you know, if you if you happen to get the annual. Um, Robert, you, you went deep on the Rays, and the, the article's called How the Rays Raise Their Offensive Game. Yesterday they beat the Jays six four. It wasn't necessarily about how they they've changed their their offensive game. That's more about the the Jays continuing to struggle, which we'll talk about in a minute here. Um, but the Rays have not only raised their offensive game, but gotten the best with real consistency out of kind of fringy hitters. We saw three different hitters go yard yesterday. Um, two of them, you know, kind of fringy guys on their way up. Um, give us kind of the the before we dive into to some of the more specific stuff. In setting up your piece, you you look at, hey, the offense is way better with with a lot of the same people. Maybe it's swing decisions, but then you look at their chase rate is fairly similar. Their contact rate is fairly similar. Um, so what is driving the, this renewed success across the entire Tampa Bay Rays lineup? Yeah, sorry about that. No, it's all right. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, like uh, I don't know how much made it through, but they they just kind of like optimized each of their players to hit to their strengths. And that doesn't show up in team level stats because a lot of hitters are different, especially up and down that lineup. They have some guys that are very aggressive, some guys that are patient, um, but they're all kind of hitting the way they should almost is what I would word it. Um, like I was saying, uh, Wonder Franco has, you know, precocious hitting tool. He's been able to get his bat to everything kind of like Bo Bichette. And uh, sometimes those guys, uh, chase pitches that they, they probably shouldn't because they feel they can get to it. And what he's doing this year is he's, he's chasing less and uh, getting more pitches in the heart of the zone, and he's able to do a lot more damage than he has in the past because he's, he's getting better pitches to hit. 
So when that that's the Wander Franco example, we we can go through you know a number of it, and, and you kind of you have the sen- addressing each of the players' individual weaknesses and rolling those changes up into a greater than the sum of their parts effect. Obviously, we know that you know offense has the opposite of diminishing returns. The more offense you have, uh, you know, the more the fewer outs you're making, the more guys are on base for for other hitters, the more pitchers are pitching out of the stretch. Um, how much of this success for the Rays? And I do want to get into some of the the individuals beyond just. Wander Franco, but how much of the success of this team is just having no soft spots in the lineup and no spot to breathe when you're going through, you know, the Rays one time through the order, two times through the order, three times through the order? I, I think that's a that's a huge part of it. Um, the comparison I kind of drew at the end of the article was to the 2021 Giants, who also had a, like just a bunch of uh, kind of. Uh, role players, I guess you would describe them as who just like had career years and it made their lineup just super deep one to nine. And then they also had guys on the bench that they could bring on to get favorable matchups. And it just turns it into like, they just grind pitchers up like starters and get to bullpens. Um, it just builds on each off of each other, like a feedback loop. It does. And that's, you know, it, it's, it becomes obvious when a team is hitting well, and then the absence of it also becomes uh, very obvious. Uh, I wanted to ask you about a, a couple of the Rays specifically. Um, we saw Jose Siri Homer yesterday. And, and yeah, if you're a fan of Lee Dome and you've been watching the bat flip since the Dominican league, maybe you're a little familiar, but that's a guy who, you know, he was, and not just someone who was a superfluous piece in just any organization from Houston, where they're supposed to be the franchise that gets the most out of these guys. Um, what have they been able to do with Siri? Um, he's kind of always had um, the ability to, to hammer the ball. Um, he's like a very athletically gifted guy. Um, haven't looked into too much of him specifically because like he was, he was, he was injured for a good chunk of the year. So he didn't show up in some of the searches I was doing for the article. Um, but I would guess that they're just like kind of playing matchups with him a little bit. Um, I know that Josh Lowe plays a lot in center for them. So he's probably seeing a lot of favorable platoons. Um, and yeah, he's just, uh, he's, he's kind of, not cut his swing strike rate at all, but he is chasing a little bit less. And because of that, I mean, his, his barrel percentage on uh, baseball savant.com is uh, like three times what it was last year. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty good. Um, and then the other name, it will, we'll pivot off the raise in a second here, but the other name I have to ask you about just because he is a former, uh, you know, formerly in the Blue Jays system. He, he bounced around a couple spots, Miami, Cleveland, now in his second year with the Rays. And, you know, you link to another baseball prospectus uh, piece within your piece about Harold Ramirez uh, being a bad ball hitter. And that, that was by Patrick Dubuque uh, earlier in May. But what, what has gone into Harold Ramirez is success and I mean even just like philosophically us as baseball analysts what do we do with someone like that who is a bad ball hitter like it reminds me of Vladimir Guerrero senior almost where what are you going to do tell tell the guy not to swing at a pitch that's in the dirt and he goes down on a knee for but he can crank it for a double like like how do we even handle a guy like Harold Ramirez analysis wise um those guys are always really fascinating to me um because you know like as as Baseball analysts, the conventional wisdom is like you want the the super disciplined guys who take the at bats, and you're like, yeah, that was a really professional at bat. 
but then there's some guys who are just able to just hit like anything. Um, and he's one of them. And I think that they, like, he's swinging a little bit less this year. So maybe he's being slightly choosier, but it's not like much. He's still well above league average. Um, but I think that they just kind of like give the green light to him a little bit. They're like, just, just go do you, man. <laughs> and he's, he's able to make that work. Yeah, and it's uh, hey, it's, it's working so far. We didn't see him yesterday, but I, I'd imagine we'll see him at some point in this series. And Jays fans can go trace the old trade tree uh, from that Drew Hutchison deal uh, from a few years back. Harold Ramirez now now having some success with the Rays on the Blue Jays side. Um, someone that you and I have talked about uh, a little bit early this year, not on the show, of course, because it because it just came back, but in DM and, and you know you wrote an article about you know hey. To, to paraphrase here, we have exit velocity and we have launch angle. We have barrel rate and all this stuff. But wouldn't it be a little more clean if we could focus on the combination of those factors? Because, hey, exit velocity beat into the ground isn't going to do a ton of damage. Launch angle hit softly might drop in for a single, but not going to do a ton of damage. And you came up with this stat that, that I think you call the damage rate and at the time you and I talked and you sent me some of the some of the graphics of the leaders uh, right now it was basically a, a big flashing sign that hey Matt Chapman's super hot start in the first week or two of April was legitimate and we've seen that play out cooled off just a tiny bit here uh, in May but all the batted ball stuff still there um, what have you what have you seen from Matt Chapman and what kind of went into your thinking with coming up with hey damage rate is a maybe a cleaner way to sum up some of these batted ball stats um, yeah I mean they have uh, they have harder hit rate on um, Savant. And on Fangraphs too, where it's just like uh, any any batted ball over 95 miles an hour, and and like you were saying, that's that's not super useful when it's you know a ground ball or or whatever. So uh, damage rate just kind of like folds up uh, launch angle, exit velo, and also hit direction, like the the spray, like pull or opposite or up the middle. Um, and it's just it's a ball that's likely to be an extra base hit. And, uh, yeah, Matt Chapman is, is still doing very well. Um, in the first month of the year, he was, you know, leading the field. And uh, this year I just ran it this morning, and he's just behind Joey Gallo, but that's like half as many batted balls for Gallo. And then Aaron Judge just passed him, but that's Aaron Judge. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, Chapman's still ahead of uh, Jordan Alvarez. Um, so, you know, he's, he's still among the best hitters in baseball. It's third third best. And, um hasn't he's slowed down only a little bit it's you know he's like 40 percent of his bad at balls this month have been you know damage uh likely to do damage whereas it was almost half of them last month uh, but he's he's still chugging along what what a decline from half your balls are likely to do damage and potential extra base hits to only 40%. And yeah, you mentioned Joey Gallo, uh, who, you know, I know he's had some some downs over the last couple of years and it's only a partial sample this year, but uh, 11 home runs, not a, not a bad guy uh, to be in company with there. I want to do a couple quick hitters with you before we let you go, Robert. Um, you wrote about Sandy Alcantara's struggles the other day and, and how, you know, some similar under the hood stats are, are leading a guy who was a Cy Young contender to be, uh, you know, a guy with an ERA around five, something similar going on here in Toronto with the struggles of, of Alec Manoa, where, yeah, you could start to pull at strings of, of 
specifics that that he's having trouble with and, and of course to, to a greater degree than Alcantara the some of the underlying metrics going in the wrong direction for Manoa um, but did you you know when when you were putting together that Alcantara piece it, does any of the same thinking apply to what we're seeing from Alec Manoa in terms of um, you know what where you expect him to end up late as the season rolls on or just having confidence in a guy who's shown that level at, at the high end before um I think it's kind of a, a, a similar kind of thing. Like uh, the Sandy Alcantara, I wrote about how his changeup was like his biggest weapon last year, and he's kind of like lost his feel for it or something. Um, for Alec Manoa, that seems like it's happened to his, his slider. I mean, when he first came up, that pitch was like, that was a hammer, you know? Um, for, and, and from 2021 to 2023, he's lost about two inches of drop and two inches of sweep on it. So it's just kind of like loopier at the same speed and doesn't miss as many bats. And, and now he's just, you know, it's, it's gone from a 37% whiff rate to just over a quarter. Um, so if he can I don't know, get back to the old slider, I'm not sure if it's like a grip change or, or a mental cue thing that the pitching coach needs to work on, then I think you can, you know, see the, see the same Manoa you got last year. But if not, I don't, I mean, his, his two fastballs are okay, but I don't, I don't know if they're, good enough to be, you know, output the main outpitches in his arsenal. Yeah, it doesn't look that way so far. It really does look like everything's going to flow from whether he can get uh, the slider back. Um, as we continue the quick hitters here, Robert, uh, an old Blue Jays farmhand and once a top prospect traded in the Troy Tulowitzki deal. Now a member of the Philadelphia Phillies, Jeff Hoffman. He finally allowed a run last night. He'd had a bunch of shutout appearances to start his Phillies career. Uh, one earned run over seven innings so far, 42.9% strikeout rate in the early going here. Uh, you're a Philly guy. Is Jeff Hoffman, quote unquote, a guy for this Phillies bullpen moving forward? He's looked pretty good. Um, I mean, he's he's up to to ninety nine in relief. The the, the slider is like eighty seven, eighty eight, and that uh, that's a wicked slider now. So, uh, I'm kind of been excited by what I've seen by him. And it's not just like one inning at a time. He threw like two scoreless innings um, in one of their games on the West Coast uh, last week. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's he's looking like a possible piece. Yeah, which is, you know, fun. And certainly Jays fans aren't going to kick themselves about a guy who got them too low and, and took five or six years to, yeah. to become a solid reliever. Um, right now, though, maybe a little bit of second guessing. Dalton Varsho has been really, really good defensively and on the bases, struggling at the dish right now. And one of the pieces that they traded for him, as you have continued to point out on Twitter of late, the hottest hitter in baseball over the month of May, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. What the heck is going on? He, in his years, here he was either a 20 power 20 home run power guy or a 300 batting average guy never the two at the same time and now he's figured it all out together what do you what are you loving about Guriel right now uh i'm not i'm not loving it especially right now because he he took zach wheeler out of, <laughs> of cbp last night and then i think he got another double and another base hit he just he was a terror um yeah, he's always been like a gifted contact hitter, and like he only somehow had like five home runs and almost 500 trips to the plate so last weird. year. And there was some there was some bad at ball numbers that were like that. That was kind of fluky. So um, I guess he's just cashing in on those those missed home runs from last year and then some. And yeah, he's he's putting together the contact and the power. Uh, he's he's not expanding the zone as much, and you know, he's just crushing stuff when it comes over the plate now. 
Yeah, which is, uh, you know, great to see in general. But yeah, you as a as a Philly-based person and us here as Toronto-based people, maybe the only groups not super thrilled to be seeing this from uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. right now. Uh, Robert Orr, Baseball Prospectus, thanks so much for taking the time out this morning, man. Keep up all the great work. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Robert Orr, Baseball Prospectus. And again, if you want to go a little deeper on that Rays piece, there are certainly some takeaways for any baseball team, uh, any sports team, really, in terms of, hey, player development, are we focusing on what a player doesn't do well and trying to bring those things up to a certain level? Or are we focusing on what a player does do well and emphasizing those and magnifying those? Um, well, yeah, of course, you do, you always want to try to massage and bring along the weaknesses. Um, but that ability to focus in on what a player does do well and, and bring out the best in them from around that uh, is really fascinating across sports. And so I strongly recommend uh, going to check that piece out at Defector or at Baseball Prospectus. Um, yeah, by by Robert or you can check that out, how the Rays raise their offense. Um, we're going to give away some concert tickets. Uh, Bud, Bud Sage opens up today for the summer, which is always kind of, you know, I know we called it the unofficial start of summer this past weekend at, at Rogers Center. For me, as a big music guy, Bud Stage opening up, also kind of the unofficial start of summer. Um, Beck and Phoenix are co-headlining at Bud Stage on September 3rd as part of their summer Odyssey tour. And we're giving away tickets all week long. To enter, all you have to do is tune into Jay's Talk Plus this week, listen for the code word, and then text that code word to 590-590. Today's code word is super cool. If any of you have young kids and watch the Lego movies, you get the reference, the back reference there. So text super cool to 590, 590 right now to enter for your chance to win. If you don't win with us today, keep an ear out the rest of the week. And if you don't win at all, make sure you go to ticketmaster.ca to secure your tickets. We're going to talk to Ben Nicholson-Smith, who I can see through the glass right now at 11 o'clock. Um, before we take the break, though, just a quick note that if you are a Toronto Maple Leafs fan as well, you've maybe been waiting to see what Kyle Dubas's response could be to Brandon Shanahan's press conference from Friday when the Leafs announced that Kyle Dubas would not be returning uh, as general manager. Kyle Dubas put out a statement today on his social media accounts at Kyle Dubas, and he is uh, not going to go into the specifics, but there's a little bit of shade in there. Um, I won't read the whole thing, um, but he says, while I understand there's interest surrounding the circumstances of my departure, I will not get into the specifics of what I consider to be reasonable and consistent but private discussions. Uh, he goes on uh, to thank the the Maple Leafs community and, and MLSE and things like that. Um, the kind of professional response you'd expect, but yeah, a little bit of shade after uh, the way the Shanahan press conference went on Friday. Uh, we'll keep an eye on some of those things. Of course, this is Jay's Talk Plus. We're not going to do uh, much non-Jay's stuff beyond the odd basketball joke here and there, and of course, celebrating Jamal Murray right now. Um, but, it is a pretty big time in Toronto sports for uh, a lot of organizations beyond the struggles the Jays are going through. The Toronto Raptors are, are trying to hire a head coach. The Toronto Maple Leafs need to hire a general manager and then potentially a head coach from there. So it's possible that from time to time uh, we could take a quick peek at what's going on around Toronto sports. This is Jays Talk Plus, though. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk all Jays, nothing but Jays, with Ben Nicholson-Smith of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. That's next as Jay's Talk Plus continues on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and Sportsnet 360. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. Never-ending circles. Uh, pretty fitting for us starting Jay's Talk Plus 2023 in the exact same spot we started Jay's Talk Plus in 2022. Uh, just in a 10-12 to time slot instead of a, a 3-5 to time slot. All the same topics. I'm just running off the exact same notes as last year. Just, you know, scratch out one name, put in another. Uh, joining me uh, for the next hour in studio of Sportsnet, of Sportsnet.ca. Ben Nicholson-Smith, how are you, man? Good. Are you like one of those teachers who would just use the same, like, notes year after year and just, like, use the same acetate and basically... You know, not adjust. I mean, I should. I should. <laughs> I didn't save my note. Like the the notes get deleted at the end of every show, which uh, w- would get frustrating sometimes because, like, I think during like last year when I, I w- the slot was three to five, so I would do in the last segment a lot of teeing up the game the night ahead. Obviously, we can't do that uh, today, other than like Thursday when they have a one p.m. game. Um, but you know, I would go in and do my analysis of the pitchers and the matchups and stuff like that, and then. The notes get cleared out for the next day. And then like the Jays faced Kyle Bradish and Dean Kramer like 42 times each over the course of uh, Jays Talk Plus last year and uh, the course of the baseball season. So I had to, uh, you know, redo the research. I'm like, huh, I should have saved 200 versions of the notes. Yeah, exactly. Well, at least this year, the more balanced schedule is probably a good thing on that front. And I'm sure the ways the Jays are playing within the American League East right now they will not be sad to see a bit more variety at some point pretty soon. No, they still can't figure out Dean Kramer and uh, yeah, can't figure out the American League East. Now five and 13 in their own division, one and seven over these last eight games, all against division opponents. We'll get into some of the specific nitty gritty things, but Ben high level, where are you at right now with, with this team going through it to this degree? It's rough. I, You know, the big takeaway for me, it's not that they're not a good team. I still think this is a really good baseball team. And I still think that they could should make the playoffs. They could do damage in the playoffs. That should still be their goal. The thing that's changed for me in the course of these 48 games, where they're 25 and 23, and at the bottom of the American League East is, I just see the division title as becoming much less likely. And that's not where you want to be on May 23rd, less than two months into the season. But you know, at this point, they would need to play at close to 100 win pace to win 95 games. And the way the Rays are playing, I don't think you're winning this division with like 92. So I just think the AL East is starting to become less likely. And that means that you're looking at probably another wild card series. Yeah, it's it's tough to know this early that all the work you put in over the offseason, spring training, the ne- the 47 games so far or 48 games so far and the hundred and change to come that it's all going to come down to a best two out of three. And we know from last year, we know from the history of baseball that a best two out of three can be pretty random. And and like, you certainly can't focus on building your team to like, Hey, you got to win two games. Like, if that were the case, the only thing they should focus on between now and then is getting a whole bunch of back-end bullpen arms, which maybe they should do anyway. But, Never hurts. but it is a little weird to be like, yeah, okay, there's a playoff race. You you still have the confidence that this team's going to make the playoffs. But nine and a half games back in the division, and even if you had swept this series, say, so they win yesterday, they sweep the rest of the series. Yeah, that division lead would have got down to four and a half, which would have been more manageable, but you're still a handful of games behind the Baltimore Orioles who just swept you. You're still a handful of games behind the New York Yankees who just took what was three or four off of you. Um, It it really does feel like balanced schedule or not high quality of competition or not bad timing or not. This has been 
a week or, or two weeks even of a lot of missed opportunities and that's in the schedule and of, of course the runners in scoring position stuff but is that the feeling you have right now that you know the place that they're in they didn't have to be in this place yeah exactly I mean this is not a bad team like they're they're a good team I know they're struggling really badly right now and the weekend was ugly on a lot of levels more frustration last night in Tampa Bay so you know it's not good I, I ne would never say otherwise they're playing pretty badly but I, I think the fact remains they are a good team they're very capable of of winning games but I think you need the offense just to give you a bit more room for error because otherwise it's like every time John Schneider forgets how many pitchers he's used or, or mound visits <laughs> he's used or every time you know Eric Swanson hangs a splitter every time Vlad Jr. makes a mistake those things get magnified so much more and so I think that's just where this team is at where they're they're no longer an elite offensive team. They're middle of the pack. They could again be an elite offensive team, but that's not where they are. And so it just ends up being that the little mistakes get magnified and every team makes little mistakes. Yeah, and in terms of those little mistakes, there were a couple of them yesterday. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. with two dropped catch errors at first base. Um, one of those you know, keeping an inning alive that then ended, depending on whether you think an unearned run ends a shutout streak or not, uh, it arguably ended Chris Bassett's uh, shutout streak. Either way, it, it was going to end uh, a little bit later. Um, and then, of course, you know, Whit Merrifield getting thrown out on the bases for a second consecutive day. Kevin Biggio had a rough week last week getting picked off at second as a pinch runner and then walking and stealing second but sliding over the base on Sunday and being tagged out. And yeah, I mean, Chris Bassett talked about it after the game. Here's a little bit of audio uh, of him and just, you know, why you, I mean, we all know intuitively that you, you can't do this kind of stuff, but to hear the frustration on Chris Bassett, who, yeah, didn't have his best game either, but was also done in by some of those mistakes. It's pretty telling. Yeah, it's not, it's not so much pressure added. It's just, I mean, like I said, they're a really good team. Um, you just can't, you can't give multiple outs to, to a really good team and expect to win. Um, we're, we're just, we're just playing not good baseball right now. We got to clean a lot of things up, um, from a pitching standpoint to, to base running to, I mean, basically all facets of the game, we got to clean up. Um, obviously we're in like the, the heart of like the toughest part of our schedule this right now and to play to play the baseball that we're playing right now we can't expect to 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 win games the way we're playing you can't expect to win games the way you're playing it's a pretty striking quote from chris bassett and it brings me you know this is more of a of a higher level thing i guess instead of going into the micro but this is this particular way of losing was exactly what the Blue Jays talked about avoiding all offseason, all spring training. It was they were going to be the little things team. They were going to be the attention to detail thing team. And now we're seeing, yeah, yeah, there have been good defensive plays. Kevin Kiermaier with a great outfield assist last night, four stolen bases for the team on Saturday. But for the most part, and especially of late, this team has not... And you mentioned the the John Schneider second mound visit to Alec Manoa that maybe has a cascading effect on the bullpen usage and that flows into Sunday because you've had to use Jimmy Garcia eight times in 12 days or whatever it is. Um, this is not what this team was supposed to be. What, what do you make of that in terms of their inability to do the small things that have been hammered at least narratively and quote wise since day one this spring? Yeah, it's important to this team to do those little things well. I, I think with that said... If we were to zoom out and say, okay, in the course of 162 games, six-month season, every team is probably going to have stretches where they do things poorly. Now, 
the best teams in baseball, your Atlantas, your uh, Tampa Bays, those teams are making mistakes, but simultaneously doing enough good things that the mistakes are overshadowed. You're good to go. The Blue Jays, they're making these mistakes at a time that they're not doing enough other good things. They're being compounded. They're being highlighted. And that's not great. That's why they are where they are at 25 and 23. I think at the same time, as we move ahead, this team is fully capable of playing really good defense, of playing better uh, base uh, base running on a consistent basis. And again, like they're, they're ninth in the American League in home runs. This is a team that just needs to out-hit some of its mistakes, I think. Like... When they get, if they get to the playoffs, um, which is an if at this point, they're a last place team. If they get to the playoffs, Kiermaier, Varsho, you know, this is a team that can really do some good things defensively, especially in the outfield. But even Vlad Jr., I know he made the two errors last night. What a great defender he's been at third, uh, first base all season long. So they can be a good defensive team. Um, the, the problem to me is less how they move ahead. It's more the fact that their record is just not good. Mm-hmm. And it's tough because those, even if you have the confidence that things are going to turn around, those games count, right? Like we're more than a quarter of the way in the season, nudging up on a third of the way through the season. And the AL East is what it is. And, and you know, you can find a little bit of solace in the fact that, and I've mentioned it a bunch over the last two days, that you go back to last year and at this exact point in time, the Jays were actually even worse offensively. And that was a team that was, built i think to be a little better offensively than than this version right they did trade in a little bit of the offensive upside for defensive base running something that strikes me though in seeing the, these little thing mistakes and, and um you know the inability to hit with runners in scoring position i had someone ask in the text line yesterday or, or maybe in my twitter mentions like why are you talking about this team's inability to hit home runs what what happened to small ball and you can do small ball stuff but if you are failing to execute with runners in scoring position, small ball is almost impossible, right? You yeah. get a runner on first base, you bunt them over to second or, or steal, you get them over the third with a productive out. If no one is ever coming through with the hits, those guys aren't going to come in. Whereas a home run at least, you know, puts you on the board. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That gives you a guaranteed at least <laughs> one run. Um, I, I think too, like the last time I checked the Blue Jays average with runners, in scoring position was around 24th in Major League Baseball. And there's no reason. I mean, this is a should be uh, a team that can do better than that moving forward. So I would imagine that there's some just bad luck that's happened or bad execution, however you want to ascribe it, um, that probably will uh, even out going forward and that this team can get a few more of those big hits, boosting things offensively. I mean, true talent, they're not as bad as they were against the Yankees, for example. Um but again, what's done is done. And so, you know, you have, even if you think that the Jays are better than the Yankees, which I definitely do, or better than the Red Sox, and the Orioles look good, but the Jays can definitely hold their own with Baltimore. Well, those teams are ahead of Toronto right now. So you still have catching up to do. You have to outplay them. Right. It's not as it's not a matter of being three wins better than those teams over 162. It's now you've got to be, well, a seven or eight win pace better than those teams over the, the last hundred and change. And yeah, you mentioned the stats with runners in scoring position. They are 24th on the season, hitting 236 with runners in scoring position. If we look at the last two weeks, so since May 8th, uh, kind of coming out of that Pirate series, that's down to 182. Yeah. The teams hitting worse than them are... Oakland, which you'd expect, I think Oakland might just be hitting 179 as a team 
period. And they're yeah. more than fine with that. Um, and then Philly and San Diego, who are good teams that are also going through it uh, a little bit right now. And, and you know, I, I've thought back to last year a couple times because, again, the same same idea. They were one of the worst teams in baseball with runners in scoring position last year for the first two months. And then they became the best team with runners in scoring position uh, from there. But A, it didn't get this extreme, I don't think. Their WRC plus the last two weeks with, with runners in scoring position is 48. So you're talking about less than half the league average offense over the last two weeks when you have runners in scoring position, which is uh, pretty remarkable. Also, worth keeping in mind that pitchers pitch worse with runners in scoring position because they have to pitch out of the stretch and they have to be aware of the runner. So this is, you know, it's a little extra. You're not just comparing it to your average. You're comparing it to, hey, you're supposed to be better in these spots. Yeah, you're right. Pitchers actually are worse. Like the league-wide numbers, I have them right here. So league-wide average for the season is 247 and an OPS of 727. And then you look at it with runners in scoring position, the average is 254. The OPS is 749. So generally, you expect to do a little better in those situations I refuse to believe that the Blue Jays are just so unclutch that they mm. cannot execute in those situations. I think that that should reverse itself to something closer to their season-long numbers. Um, but, you know, there's there's no one doing what's already happened. And what was encouraging last year when we were talking about if it would potentially turn around is if we got into some of the details in terms of what their process was in those situations. Are you chasing bad pitches? Are, are you you know, trying to do too much for as much as we can quantify that. Are, are your good guys still having good at-bats? Um, that was the case last year. There was a lot of room for encouragement for that. How do you feel about that this year? For my money, I mean, I feel that way, you know, last night notwithstanding. Bo Bichette's been pretty good in those situations. Um, but guys like Matt Chapman and Dalton Varsho are down near the bottom of the league in terms of hitting with runners in scoring position. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. looks and sounds like he's maybe trying to do a, a little bit too much right now. How much do you, you're around the clubhouse a lot. How much do you put into the psychological side of when something like this starts to happen that, it can snow like and, and obviously they will come out of it eventually. But right now, as they're going through it, that there is a bit of a snowball effect because everyone starts trying to do a little bit too much. Yeah, I, I think obviously hard to quantify, but I think to some extent that's there. Um, I think we've seen it even on the bases at times, which, you know, maybe there the decision making is a little easier to read than like the instant swing decision when it's, you know, all, you know obviously subconscious and just like happening in a flash of a second. Um, but even on the bases, we've seen just some pretty bad base running. And that goes to one of your earlier points there about this team needing to be better fundamentally. I think when we see George Springer trying to stretch a single into a double, and this is going back nine or 10 days now, but Vlad Jr. not going out of the box against Atlanta very hard when the Blue Jays are down one. I just see like some mental lapses um, of guys uh, maybe trying to do a little bit too much. Now, I don't think that that can account for you know, a huge portion of what's going on here, but I think it contributes to some extent. Yeah, and I don't have the audio of this one, but it was in uh, Shai Davidi's, I can't remember if it was Shai Davidi's piece or, or Keegan Matheson's piece uh, postgame, maybe both, but quotes from Kevin Kiermeyer last night, um, kind of getting to that, but also putting a little bit of the, you know, putting the blame squarely on them. Um, and, and so he said, I, I feel like everything that could go wrong for us lately has, and that's the way baseball goes. At the same time, we create luck for ourselves and we've got to be better plain and simple. So I think that speaks to your point about, yeah, you can be gripping the bats a little bit too much, but also if you're running into outs and not 
not being, you know, as locked in as you need to be, that's going to perpetuate itself. He also said, we don't have a whole lot of guys playing with the greatest confidence right now. Um, now, maybe that's, you know, speaking to this guy's trying to do too much or gripping the bat a little bit. But does that does that quote, you know, we've heard from Vladdy and Vladdy's more of the raw, raw, everyone stay positive. But when you hear a veteran, a veteran guy like Kevin Kiermaier say he doesn't think those guys have a lot of confidence right now, does that worry you a little bit? I think it's interesting. I think confidence can come and go pretty quickly in baseball. And I think that, you know, this team, like, who knows? They could go on an eight and two run starting tonight. Like that wouldn't surprise me. Um, and then the confidence could be really back. <laughs> the vibes could be good by Friday, right? It can happen pretty quickly in baseball. I, I just, I, I do think that now it's interesting that Kiermaier would say that and probably reflects, you know, a team that's that's scuffling. And no, they know, they know they should be doing better than this. They know that they're getting in their own way. And, you know, they're not going to admit that the, the Rays are, you know, <laughs> scaring them because they have a job to do every night. But what the Rays are doing is really separating themselves from the pack. And, you know, the dream of getting a buy in the first round is becoming more distant right now. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's not over, over, and we certainly don't look at playoff odds as early as uh, as late May. Why but not? if you do, like, bet- the Rays have already a two-thirds chance to win the division based on Fangraph's playoff odds. And, and again, those are finicky, this, and, and I mostly mention them tongue-in-cheek this early, but if you do care about them, you know, having the most wide-open division in baseball two-thirds settled in terms of projections is uh is pretty extreme and that's that's also with the Fangraphs projections still not really believing in the baltimore orioles yeah right which which you know are you believing in the baltimore uh, orioles at this point a lot more than i did this time last year or a lot more than i did even six months ago i mean each passing week you know where more prospects the westbergs and the cowsers and the holidays like keep performing and watching them this past weekend yeah baltimore's they're pretty good they're a pretty good team um you know, and I think one other issue with the Jays is just, okay, they call up Otto Lopez with Espinal going to the IL. And, like, this is a guy with a 533 OPS at AAA. Like, there's not really a lot of reinforcements coming. It's not really a lot of depth at AAA um, to at least the kind of impact depth that can come up and really um, change the course of a season. That's not a knock on, you know, the Jays as an organization. They've brought up a lot of really good prospects in the last few years, whether it's Kirk or Espinal or Vladdy or Bo or... Nate Pearson even this year, but that wave seems to have kind of slowed, right? There's not really anyone who's even Ricky Tiedemann's dealt with the bicep soreness, Barger's on the IL, so it's not really there. Yeah, and you you wrote a piece at Sportsnet the other day, and, you know, I, I know, hey, if Vlad were hitting home runs and Dalton Varsha were hitting a little bit, but the, your best players playing better is the most important thing, but a lot of these smaller things do matter, and we saw it on the weekend in a pair of extra inning games when, you know, you're reaching to make substitutions that you don't love or you're, you go down one body short and suddenly you say Kikuchi is getting ready to pinch run. I mean, you wrote a, a piece at sports.ca as blue Jays seek more offense, ben, uh, offense bench must be part of the solution. Um, and it, it does stand out in contrast to last year where I think they had 11 guys hit league average or better last year. Wow. And right now it feels like they've got, a 10 man position player roster because Nathan Lucas is obviously only being used in very specific situations. Even though I I thought he had a couple good plate appearances on the weekend. Uh, I mean, bars low there, but, but this is a guy who's hit at some levels. Um, Kevin Biggio, who 
I don't know what situation you like. Obviously, he's going to get used as a pinch runner, but the guy who's supposed to be the most intelligent base runner this team has and the most, you know, read and react guy making a couple outs on the base pass over a couple of days. And then, yeah, Otto Lopez is, you know, he's there because you want to have a backup shortstop just in case. Right. Which, you know, you, this is getting kind of into the roster depths of it, but like with but that's uh, that's what we're here for, <laughs> right? Talk Plus, that's right. Um, I, I think with the, with the shortstop thing, I would almost be tempted if they had better options offensively in AAA, for example, you might almost be tempted just to run with no backup shortstop. And then if Bo gets hurt, you put Chapman there and you just figure it out. I think as it stands, it makes sense to bring up Lopez because it's not like there are five guys at AAA who are slugging, you know, 600 with 13 bombs down there. I, I think as the Jays move ahead here, you probably want to find a way to add someone to this offensive unit, move Biggio into the Lucas role, option Lucas, and then you have someone who's really able to hit, you know, and you're Preferably just... from the right side. So that Santiago Espinal is in a pinch hitter in high leverage spots. Yeah, although I think you could go after a lefty hitter too. Um, there are more of those available. Like, those guys get... Who, who was it? Hosmer got DFA'd the other day. Yeah. Uh, those guys get DFA'd all the time. Exactly. There's a lot of churn there. So, you know, I think agreed, you probably ideally want a right-handed hitter, but I think you could add a left-handed hitter if you just have the right bat and it just gives Schneider one more weapon. But at this point, you know, you can have those talks behind the scenes, but, you know, May 23rd, it's obviously yeah. a couple months before that really picks up. It, it is, but, you know, like you said, the the DFA market or, or the, you know, low, hey, cash considerations or future considerations market, it, those are always churning enough that, you know, Bradley Zimmer got signed by the Red Sox the other day because they traded Greg Allen to the Yankees. Um, and, yeah, it's it's dire enough that I, I went a little deeper on Aaron Hicks' stats after he got DFA'd, and they're not pretty, uh, but once you get past the salary, I don't know, a right-handed hitting guy who can play some corners and run a little bit, it's not, it's not sexy, but yeah. that's that's kind of where the, the bench depth is at this point. And I wonder, too, like, sometimes you see this with, like, Yankee discards where it's, like, these guys who get chewed up in New York, right? Like a Joey Gallo, for example. And he, then, he talked about that a lot last year Gallo, when, it, when he got freed of, like, yeah, yeah hey, the, the exhale that you get, and look at him now. It's, he's having a great season with the Twins, who the Jays face this weekend. And, you know, I, I wonder if there's something there with Aaron Hicks. I, I, I haven't looked at the numbers. Um, you'd want to see something encouraging from a batted ball standpoint. Yeah. Uh, we know Hicks is going to work a good at bat um, and certainly has experience in the outfield, but... Yeah, I, I don't know. Is that the answer? I mean, they, they've got to look at stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, 33 years old, three years removed from his last good season. And, and yeah, I don't think you'd want him in center anymore, but you don't need, you have three center fielders yeah, in your starting outfield yeah. uh, anyway. But yeah, it's been uh, it's been pretty dire his last couple seasons. But like you said, this is this is where you're at. And for anyone who's curious, if you're wondering what, you know, what is on the 40 man and at AAA for potential options, you mentioned Addison Barger. It looks like he avoided anything too serious there, but he's on the IL. Tyler Heineman is a third catcher, which maybe you could talk yourself into a third catcher when it was Gabriel Moreno, yeah. not when it's Tyler yeah. Heineman. And then Spencer Horwitz is like the one guy hitting down there. But short of a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or Brandon Belt injury, it's hard to see where his path to playing time is other than just as a pinch hitting specialist. That's right. And you know, when I looked at him or when Vlad Jr. was dealing with the knee thing mm -hmm. a few days ago, I did look at Horwitz and he's got some really good numbers. He's hitting 326 down at AAA. Um, but you know, we've talked about the Blue Jays and their their power. Horwitz, first baseman, he's got one homer. <laughs> so, one homer. you know, it's not necessarily someone that's going to come up and just totally 
transform this offense. It looks like more of a doubles profile. Yeah, and it's it's always not a red flag, but a, a flag for diving a little deeper when a guy has great minor league numbers, but the OBP is higher than the slugging. And then you start to wonder, well, Spencer Horst is 25. Is he just like too polished for minor league pitchers and he's just not going to let you get anything over on him, right? Quad A. Um, and, and you can't call him Quad A till he gets a chance. At the, like at 5A, I guess, is, yeah. is Major League Baseball. But uh, yeah, sometimes I look at something like an 18% walk rate and it's like, well, you're just laying off garbage, which is still skill, but you're going to see less of that at the next level. Well, and this is, you know, maybe it works for a few weeks. We're seeing this with Kevin Biggio now where, you know, that is still an elite skill that Kevin Biggio has is the ability to tell balls from strikes, but pitchers aren't letting him flex it. They are not letting him use it because they want to attack him in the zone. So they he- just don't walk him. And they can do it with mid, like not even elite fastballs. And like, why, why would you nibble and give the guy the chance? Like his walk on, on camera for Saturday or Sunday now, what is his first since April 3rd? Yeah. He has the lowest walk rate on the team. And that's because, yeah, why wouldn't you just pepper the zone? It's wild. He has the lowest walk rate on the team. He did before that walk anyway. Yeah. I don't know if that's scraped in my head of someone, but it was, uh, it was not, not going super well for him. Um, yo, he is, he is narrowly ahead of Bo Bichette now in walk rate by yeah. a, a decimal point. And I think, uh, Bo I think Bo's doing other some other things yeah. as well. Um, okay. So with that, that's some of the, the nittier grittier stuff. And I, I do want to look ahead to the, the rest of the series at some point, but I did think it was worth pointing out that, yeah, when you're talking about all the little things that includes the bench and like, yeah, they've lost seven of eight and they're not hitting well with runners in scoring position, et cetera. They also lost two extra inning games on the weekend where if you do one Little thing better, whether it's a pinch run situation, a pinch hit situation, the use of the bullpen situation, those games don't go to extra innings. And suddenly you're three and five over this stretch, which isn't great, but doesn't feel nearly as dire. So, um, yes, we're going to talk about the Vlads and the Varshows of the world um, in the second half uh, of this hour. But those little things do matter still. And it's it's part of why all you heard all spring training was little things, little things uh, little things. We'll talk a little bit as well about um, how John Schneider has managed those little things. And we'll, we'll get you ready for tonight. We'll take a look at Jose Barrios uh, against Taj Bradley. As Jay's Talk Plus continues, Ben Nicholson Smith going to stay with us in studio uh, on Sports at 590, The Fan, and Sports at 360. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Ben Nicholson-Smith still with me. Thanks, man. To have Jay's Talk Plus back on the air. Yeah, it's nice. And as we were just talking about during the break, we're potentially headed for a stretch where it's nothing but baseball because of the Miami Heat. Wrap it up tonight against the Boston Celtics. We're going to eight days of no basketball before the NBA Finals and the NHL potentially heading down uh, a similar path with some possible sweeps there. Well, it's, it's wild. It's all baseball, baby. And you know what? It's too bad for the Jays that they aren't playing better <laughs> right now because this is a time where obviously your Leafs are out, your Oilers are out, Raptors are done. Like This should be the focus of the Canadian sports fan right now, and it is, but they're not playing good baseball right now. So if they can turn it around, they can probably capture a lot of attention. 
um, which would be great for them. The attendance has been awesome. I mean, it's, I feel like there's Couple a couple sellouts of, on the weekend. Oh, yeah. It's so much support for this team. And, and I think people know it's a good team that can play a lot better than they have. But, you know, it'd be, I'm sure they'd be happier if they were kind of taking advantage of the spotlight a little bit better right now. Yeah, you certainly. I mean, again, the crowds have been more like as much as you could ask for literally to the seat. Um, but excitement wise, yeah. Had you, you know, put a hurt on the Orioles, had a couple fun games. The games were fun until the extra innings. Um, but had you run with that a little bit more, uh, you do have a, a window here where you're the only show in town. Um, and I don't know, maybe they're just waiting for that actual gap with the NBA and the NHL. Maybe they want the Leafs to get their GM stuff out of the way and then right. they'll, they'll take over uh, stretching for answers. They're also stretching for answers. Dalton Varsho had to go the dramatic haircut route to try to turn things around. It has been a bit of a rough start at the plate for him. Um, he had a garbage time home run last night in that kind of fake comeback. But I don't know. You see in any like the the shaving it all the way down to the dome that that can go two ways, right? It's like I, I remember I, I used to have a thing with when I worked at the score with some friends there that uh, whenever you saw an athlete show up with a goatee, it was a warning sign. It's like a crisis goatee. Yeah. Um, like Tiger Woods went through it. Peyton Manning went through it. Any, anytime someone shows up <laughs> with a goatee, it's no good. Uh, how do you feel about the, hey, I got to change something. So let's shave the head. Well, now we'll know what to make of it if I ever see you wearing just with a goatee. You'd um, never see it's, it. It's crisis mode. No one's seen me without a, a full beard in years and years. <laughs> um, so hopefully that remains the case. Yeah. As for Varsho, I mean, you kind of reverse jinxed him yesterday. Yeah. Uh, as we were texting and you said something to the effect of it's been a bit of a struggle and then boom, there he goes with the homer. I mean, this is a, this is a player who clearly has underperformed this year. Um, home run or not. Uh, offensively. This is a guy who should be hitting 30 homers for the Jays. I mean, it's not that complicated. He had 27 last year, and he was catching part-time. So you would expect that with catching off his plate and the chance to focus a bit more offensively, focus on the outfield, have that simplified, that he could be a 30-homer hitter in a park that's pretty friendly to home runs, at least has been historically. And so um, it's a disappointing start. I, I don't think it's a lost cause. I do think that he'll rebound. Um, you know, the seven homers he's hit so far... Uh, you know, let's say he adds another 15 or maybe even 20 on top of that um, can still have a good year, but he's a really important piece for this team long-term. He's also the home runs he's hit. I think six of the seven have been just like absolute, no doubt, like moonshot. So the the power when he walks into one is obviously there. Um, when we get into some of the season long numbers though, he has not been hitting the ball hard generally. He's in the ninth percentile in the league in terms of average exit velocity, uh, 28th percentile instead of hard hit percentage. So we're talking about he's in the you know bottom quarter to bottom third of the league in a lot of the, hey, how well are you hitting the ball categories? And, you know, he's he's a guy who he can get away with that for little stretches because he does take some walks and he's not a super high strikeout guy. Uh, but that's a little bit concerning coming from where he was last year. What do you what do you think is going into that right now when it comes to, you know, the the results basically being uh, a bit boom or bust? Yeah, they certainly have been. I mean, you like seeing the big swings. You want to see more consistency. Just looking at, at the numbers right here, it looks like the strikeout rate and walk rate are pretty similar to where they have been historically. He set a new career high with max exit velocity. The barrel rate isn't awful. Some of the expected stats aren't awful. So... I think that better things are ahead for Varsha. But not awful is not what this team expects, right? Obviously, the floor is sufficiently high with him. He plays such great defense. He's such a great base runner when he does get on base. 
this is it would be hard pressed for Dalton Varsho to fall to even like replacement level, right? Um, but this team acquired him because they thought he could be a really big part of the now and the future. Where is the gap between what's happening and what this team was maybe expecting? Well, I think the gap is probably smaller um, than it might seem. I think that, um, you know, you look at someone who's struggling really badly, like let's say a Jose Abreu, for example, who was signed by Houston this offseason. You look at his baseball savant page, it's like blue, it's ice. It's all like this blue, he's not doing anything well. And so you have this one type of slumpy hitter where they're just not doing anything well. And then you have the other type of slumping hitter, which I think Varsha would fall under, where it's like he's mostly doing the same things. The results are not there completely. Um, but there aren't red flags. There aren't huge alarm signs. So I guess that's what I mean with Varsha. Yeah. And then there's also the matter of Jose Breu is 36. Yeah. So when something like the bat speed or, or the eye or something like that goes, it maybe doesn't come back. Although don't throw him out too quickly because we, we were talking the same way about Brandon Belt a couple weeks ago. Um, but Dalton Varsha is 26 and there's obviously um, plenty of room for him to, to round into form there. Um, I asked Chris Black this a little bit earlier too, just because of, you know, it was part of a, a holistic offseason and multiple moves that were part of a chain. But do you find yourself looking at Lourdes Gurriel or, or Gabriel Moreno and their their lines at all? Of course. Yeah. And their lines are good. <laughs> yeah. For anyone who hasn't uh, looked them up recently, uh, Lourdes having a really good season offensively and Moreno hitting for a high average. He has been one of the best uh, defensive catchers when it comes to throwing out opposing base runners and containing the running game, he has been a difference maker for Arizona. So good for him. I mean, best case scenario, this is still a win-win trade. Um, when I look at Dalton Varsho, I see a really talented defensive outfielder. And when I look at his offensive side of things, which is important, which is essential to who he is, I think he can still be an above average hitter at the plate. We just haven't seen it yet. But, you know, I think... You were talking about a less than two month sample. If you were like, I guess this is the question, right? If you were given the chance to go back and undo that trade right now, would you? I mean, the Gabriel Moreno of it all is interesting, especially, and, and like, it's not, it doesn't have as much to do with Dalton Varsho as it does with, well, Alejandro Kirk hasn't been a, as good either. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I don't think Arizona says yes to Kirk being in that trade instead. And then who knows how much truth there was to, well, Kirk for a St. Louis Cardinals outfielder or whatever, you can't really know with the, the, the butterfly effect of all that stuff. I will say the, the Varsho and Gurriel part of it, I think by the end of the year, people will probably feel okay with. I love Lourdes Gurriel. I found him to be one of the most entertaining and likable Blue Jays, and this is obviously a ridiculous start, um, but him being the best hitter in baseball probably won't sustain, and Dalton Varsho being the worst hitter in baseball with runners in scoring position probably won't sustain. I think that element of it will come closer together, um, maybe even switch by the end of the year. But yeah, how you evaluate that trade is probably going to come down to, well, three and a half years of Dalton Varsho versus six years of Gabriel Moreno. And the way Moreno's hit the ground running here, um, you know, uh, not a lot of extras, but a 300 batting average and plus defense at, at catcher. It, it's hard not to wonder what that's going to look like uh, a little bit down the line. For sure. It, it is. I mean, the, the Diamondbacks, I think, you can say there's a 0% chance they would want to undo that trade with their outfield depth. And, and of course, you know, Kirk is a factor in that. And the fact that, you know, he does not look good at the plate certainly looks to be hitting the ball into the ground a lot. Um, 
But then again, like he's struggling. It's been bad. And he's got a 350 on base percentage, even when he doesn't have bad and, speed. And he's been almost a league average hitter overall. Yeah. He, he, like I, I know that that sounds weird. A 678 OPS is not normally near league average, but offense in the league isn't very high. And when we talk about league average and we use something like WRC plus to put everyone on the same scale, it is going to have a factor, at least early on, of Roger Center's played really pitcher friendly more so than than maybe we expected. Um, so there's an element there too. But it, within Kirk's profile, um, you mentioned it. He still does have a, a 3.53 OBP, still walking more than he strikes out. Um, do you have a, a guess as to you know why the power, not even home run power, but even extra base power, um, has kind of dissipated not just this year but around the midway point of last year that started to to tailor off pretty significantly as well well you know for this year i think he just arrived late obviously with good reason uh with the birth of his daughter sent him uh you know away from the team for a little while and then it was just a bit of an accelerated spring for him to try to get ready there were new rules to learn there was pitch con there were new pitchers to learn he just and worth saying to probably a heavier load on catchers now than in the past too, because even though Pitchcom is, you know, takes some of the game calling away from a catcher, potentially the increased emphasis on the running game is a significant change for a catcher's workload. Absolutely. And so, you know, it's a lot to take on. I, I think he was a little late uh, starting the season realistically. And then I don't think that his batting stroke has really been there for him. I mean, is that because of the late start? I don't know. Um, but he hasn't really squared up the ball as often. Um, I think that, you, you know, the Jays have talked about trying to get him on his back leg more. So he's really um, more explosive and can generate more bat speed instead of being out in front, rolling over these ground balls, because, you know, this is the last hitter in baseball you want hitting ground balls. Uh, he's one of the slowest runners in baseball. It's not a good combination. You want him hitting line drives, getting some loft under the baseball and hitting it to the wall where it can be a double, a single, um, whatever the case. We know that he's got a great ability to make contact and he's got to tap into that, but just not ground ball after ground ball. Um, you mentioned with respect to uh, Alejandro Kirk getting a bit of a late start to spring. That was also what the explanation was maybe for Brandon Belt having a, a tough go off the top. Now, some of it could also be, well, he's 35 and he's coming off an injury plague season. And maybe you just don't have it anymore at that point or, or it's tough to get back. He has gone from in April hitting like you or I might look like when we're up there to hitting like not home run wise, but if we use something like WRC plus, like, like last year's Aaron judge level over the month of May, like he's up around 200 for WRC plus since the, since the season, uh, since the calendar turned over to May. So um, he's obviously not going to be double a league average uh, offensive piece um, over the entire season. But I think we can put a little bit of April behind me. What, what do you think, has been the at the heart of that change for Brandon Bell because even even something like the strikeout rate like it's down but he's still striking out a lot yeah um so what what are you seeing in, in Brandon Belt's ability to deliver on what this team thought as a, as a first base slash DH slash pinch hitter um you know on the strong side of the platoon I think that for Bell first of all I'm surprised uh because when I watched in the first few weeks of the year I thought he was done like honestly um and I thought that the moment the Jays had a better option, you know, whether it was Barger or Horowitz at the time, whatever the case. Um, that Darren it, Ruff on DFA, <laughs> yeah. whatever you're going to um, do. So, uh, you know, obviously good on the Jays for sticking with him because it turned around. And this is maybe an encouraging 
you know, reminder for some of these other struggling hitters that it's bad until it's not sometimes. Like, you look awful, you look unplayable until it actually comes around. And Belt um, has certainly come around. It's been, to me, a matter of pitch selection. You don't see him expanding to pitches that he can't hit a lot of the time. Um, you're more likely to see him strike out on a breaking ball he wasn't expecting over the plate than you are to see him chasing a slider um, in on his hands that he just shouldn't be uh, going after. So I think that his pitch selection is his big asset. That's why he's getting on base. He's still drawing walks. Um, And then it's just making enough contact, enough pretty decent contact that he's been quite valuable. It is a pretty funny um, plate discipline profile overall or or whether you want to call plate discipline or just approach profile, um, he is in the 92nd percentile for chase rate. So he chases pitches out of the zone at like a top 10% of the league rate. That's awesome. That's great. That's exactly what you want to see. But he's still striking out more than almost anyone in baseball and swing and missing at like a top 20% rate. So it's he's choosing pitches correctly, um, but missing a lot still. Uh, but you know, he's obviously able to do a, a lot of damage to these things since May 4th. He's, he's started 14 games. He's got six doubles and a homer. Question for you. Yeah. And maybe you don't have it. I'm not trying to put you on the spot here, but can you see his Babbitt for May? Ooh, yes, I can. Because uh, I'd love to know just how much luck, if any, he's had on batting average and balls in play. And I'm yeah. guessing it's high. Yeah, it is high. It's gone from 290 in April to 640 to in May. S- to 640? 640. Uh, in in the month of May, that's uh, extremely high. 640. 640. Wow. Um, so when he puts a ball in play now, that doesn't explain all of it. His walk rate has doubled yep. in the month of May. His strikeout rate has come down. You you don't accidentally get six doubles and a homer by Babbitt luck. But yeah, I think some of those singles might start eventually being not singles. The, the 370 batting average in May is probably due some regression, just like the 169 was in April. And I look at the season numbers now for Brandon Belt. His BABIP is 446, which Oof. that would be extremely, extremely high. That I'm sure no one in baseball had a 446 BABIP last year. Um, only, only when they were <laughs> playing against Kevin Gosman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so 446. No one, no one does that, and especially not hitters like Brandon Belt and Alejandro Kirk, who are very slow. Like maybe, as you know, Blake. I mean, maybe it's like you know the fastest, fastest runners, like a Bobby Witt Jr. Could he have? Uh, elevated Babbitt, sure, but uh, not Brandon Belt. This is where uh, I bug Mike Petriello sometimes. I'm like, hey, you guys should add this to StatCast. You yeah. guys should add this to StatCast. So if you go on the StatCast pages at Baseball Savant, you can see an expected batting average, which it takes into account you know, how often you're striking out or hitting home runs as well because those aren't balls in play. I have asked them, like, hey, why don't you get an expected BABIP? Because then we could see based on you know your line drive rate, how hard you're hitting the ball, where you, you know, if you're hitting pulled ground balls really hard, then your exit velocity means nothing to me because pulled ground balls are are death, right? Like you're going to hit under 200 on those over a, a long span. I would love for them to give us an expected Babbitt but huh. at some point. Well, keep me posted. Yeah, like I tried to, to hand, I, try, I hand calculated it at, at one point last year and just like downloaded the numbers and, and ran some formulas and stuff. And it was like, it was fine, but not to the, uh, you know, I can't get to the granular level that, the people behind baseball so yeah. could. Um, okay, so that's some, you know, a couple of small positives within the negative. Um, forward looking to tonight, it's going to be Jose Barrios against Tosh Bradley. 
another instance of maybe some small positives. Uh, ERA coming in just north of four or just north of three, rather, over his last seven starts, 40 strikeouts to nine walks during that time. Um, what are you liking from Jose Brios right now? I just like that he's pitching with a lot of conviction and attacking hitters. I mean, we saw him allow one, almost two home runs to Aaron Judge his last time out. That was a tough matchup. Judge was locked in, um, maybe with a little help. We'll leave that aside. <laughs> pretty good pretty good hitter with or without the help. I, I'd focus more on the the Yankees pitchers if I'm going to uh, cry foul on anything. You're Domingo Hermans and Clark Schmitz of the world. Judge is awesome. He's, yeah. a, he's an amazing hitter. Take nothing away from Aaron Judge. Um, and uh, yeah, with Barrios, he's been in the strike zone, and I, I like that he's been attacking. I like that he's throwing a lot of strikes. Um, I think that you know, against a very, very good Rays offense. Like, does Yandy Diaz take him deep tonight? Maybe, but that's okay. You Best know? hitter in baseball right now, She's by the way. been outrageously good. Um, but, you know, as long as you don't walk a couple hitters in front of him, right, like, then you can make it work. And so, you know, Barrios, does he look like a number two? No, but he looks like a pitcher you want on your staff for sure. Yeah, so one of the changes that we've seen, and I don't, I don't know how much we can put into this. Um, we saw the the Jays do something similar with Alec Manoa on Saturday just to mix it up a little bit. Um, but Jose Brios has been caught by Danny Jansen in four of his last five starts. Um, that's been a, a more or less an even split this year after last year was about two thirds Alejandro Kirk. Do you put any stock into the fact that, you know, that has, at, at, you know, Correlation is not causation, but there's a little bit of that there with the, the Barrios Jansen pairing. And then again with Alec Manoa on Saturday, having not a unbelievable start, but a, a small step forward start paired with Danny Jansen for just the fifth time ever, I think. Yeah, it hasn't happened much, especially lately. I mean, since 2022, it was basically all Kirk. <clears throat> um, I, I think for the Jays at this point, you roll forward with Manoa and Jansen at least one more time. And just see how that works um, to keep mixing it up. You want Manoa to feel good. I saw them doing like a little live action warm up in the bullpen beforehand. Um, you know, you just want to let that play out um, and, and build a little bit of momentum with Alec Manoa. As for Barrios, I think there's a bit more flexibility. I think that you can do um, different things with respect to who's hitting, what the pitching matchup is. I think you have a bit more flexibility there. Um, a couple quick hitters for you before we let you go here. The show's almost over. A um, couple bullpen quick hitters. Anthony Bass, scoreless appearance in six of his last seven, but he has not been used in leverage in weeks. Um, do you think he's shown you enough in kind of cleanup slash garbage time to maybe get back in the mix for like a seventh or eighth inning? Yeah, I think so. Because especially at a time that, you know, Jimmy Garcia, you're probably, you know, dialing that back a little bit. And he, he was used heavily too over the weekend. Um, you need someone to step up and Bass last year at a one five four ERA. Like, you know, you know that he can do it. Going into the year, he should have been that guy. So I think yes. Are you ready to see Nate Pearson in leverage? I, I think we already are. I think mm. keep rolling it. I mean, yeah, Nate Pearson has been really good, and it didn't take him long to find himself in some pretty big spots like on Sunday. Yeah, and Sunday, you know, a bit of that was maybe, hey, no one was available, and we need someone who can give us two innings. They let Gosman go 115 pitches in that one, which is the most they've let a pitcher throw since Marcus Stroman in 28, 2017, wow. August 2017. Um, so, yeah, a, a bit of that. Uh, similar mop-up spot. Thomas Hatch got an inning yesterday. Brief cameo before I'd assume he gets optioned down for Adam Simber coming back. Um, do you think there's anything there with Thomas Hatch beyond just org depth? Um, you know, uh, you never know. Uh, I, I, I don't think I, I would be surprised at this point. And 
yeah, like, yeah, I, I, I would be surprised. But but I'm open to being surprised. Yeah, I mean it's relief pitching, right? Like <laughs> yeah. it, like would he be the first surprise? No, you, we just saw Yenye Cano a couple times on yeah. the weekend and his monster 26 to nothing strikeout the walk rate after a career journeyman of being nothing like this pitcher. Yeah. Um. Sometimes guys just click, and hey, sometimes like there's a Matt Gage situation where you click for like eight innings, and that's the last we ever see of you. But the eight innings are fondly remembered and. and help the team out in a bind just like julian merriweather that one day at yankee stadium in like 2020 or something he looks so good is he still kicking around with the cubs last i checked yeah i thought he got d i thought he got dfa'd at some point but uh he has a 509 era over 17 and two-thirds innings with the cubs this year so he's uh he's who we remember i think if the jays got that from thomas hatch going forward that'd be really good yeah really Um, good the, the question is just does he even factor in, right? right. Because we're going to see Adam Simber activated at, at some point um, very soon, maybe even today. Yeah. Um, do, by the way, do you, I know you're not on the road, but do you, do you know why he wasn't activated yesterday? Because the talk on the weekend was that it was coming Monday. Yeah. I mean, it sounded like he was ready as soon as Friday. Um, I would think that happens today. I'm not sure why it didn't happen yesterday, but I would think that makes sense today. And then eventually a Zach Pop, maybe a Mitch White down the line. Hyunjin Ryu and Chad Green are throwing bullpens. Um, yeah, Thomas Hatch, thank you for the one and a third inning. But that might be uh, might be all we see from him. Yeah, and Green, I mean, it's a few months away still probably, but he's throwing. It's going pretty well. So, you know, August maybe. Um, these things are hard to pin down, but he could be really good for this. Team. Just ha- I'm actually hoping for a little later in August so that we don't hear the, well, Chad Green's like a trade deadline <laughs> yeah. acquisition. No, it's not. A trade yeah. deadline acquisition is like a trade deadline acquisition. Um, all right. Ben Nicholson-Smith, thanks so much for taking the time out, man. Keep up all the great work at Sportsnet TV, Sportsnet.ca, Sportsnet on the radio. Me and you kind of just traded off color next to ben wagner lately exactly i mean like you i find myself in different roles from day to day and uh yeah it's been a blast uh so thanks for having me on really appreciate it man uh 6 40 tonight the jays and rays will go for game two of that set jose brios against taj bradley uh blair and barker will be with you at five o'clock leading into that one on sportsnet 360 and sportsnet 590 uh the fan thanks to ben nicholson smith to chris black to robert orr for coming on the show and thanks to jeff as lance kennedy and jennifer rolnick behind the glass the jeff merrick show is next so you probably hear a little bit more on that kyle dubas statement and, and where the leafs are in their gm search as well as breaking down everything going on in the Stanley or the Stanley Cup semifinals right now, the conference finals. Uh, Jeff Merrick shows next. Jay's Talk Plus back with you 10 a.m. tomorrow on Sports at 590, the fan, and Sports at 360.